welcome to another episode of Pierce Cast, where we talk about everything Pierce College. Today, Joey and I are joined by our guest star, Andrew Pierce. He is the District Veterans Support Services Manager here at Pierce College. And the month of May is Military Appreciation Month. So we want to highlight our military community in this episode, along with the resources we have at Pierce for our military-affiliated listeners. Andrew himself has served, and so we're going to hear more about his experiences and what he's bringing to the table at Pierce. So as always, we want to start off with some more in-depth introductions. So I know I've worked with both of you separately, Andrew and Joey, for different projects, but this is the first time the two of you are really meeting. So I will let you start off with introductions and we will go from there. Yeah, I want to know I want to know about you, Joey. I never met you before. So what's your role at the college, man? What's your background? Where you come from? Yeah, so for for me, I um I've been at Pierce for about 5, 6 years now. I'm 10 years into my career in the IT field. Um but this this episode, I'm excited to have you. I'm a military brat myself, so uh, you know, salute to you first. Thank you for your service and all you've done, and all the the veterans out there. Like I just, uh, but you know, I got to watch my dad go through that realm. Um, he's a retired lieutenant colonel in the army. Um, also had a yeah, he's a cavalry guy, tanker. He was a tanker, so you know, I got to live over in Europe for six, seven years. Um, Hohensfeld, Stuttgart, bomb holder. Um, then uh, he was, uh, did some time. Uh, we lived in Fort Knox, Kentucky. Um, I got to watch him go to uh, jump out the plains down in Georgia. Is that Fort Hood, I think? Fort Benning is Fort Benning. Yeah. There you go. Yep, there you go. So I remember as a kid going and just seeing hundreds of soldiers jumping out that plane and I'm like there he is and my mom's like yeah whatever if you say so that's <laughs> like just so many guys just like just seeing that whole experience but what about you so what what brought you first and foremost what brought you to Pierce what, what how'd you end uh, up here well before we get into me I gotta say so your dad was a tank guy Fort Knox, I heard there's a tank parked right in front of the front door at Fort Knox. Is that true? Yes, there, <laughs> yes, yes. They had yeah. parked That's right a, in front of it. Right you, got the Pat, you got the Patton Museum off to the uh -huh. side right as soon as you come in. And for those of uh, you familiar with General Patton, you know, he's a step. So, you know, those are a little history. Of, but. Yeah, great. Yeah, I heard that once that there's just a big old tank, U.S. tank parked right, right up. Right up. Uh, That's funny. So, well, I mean, what brought me to Pierce, all kinds of stuff, man, but kind of along the theme, um, I don't know if this is a, an indictment of me or not as a veteran, but Nikki actually informed me that this month is Military Appreciation Month. And she kind of said, we want to invite you because, you know, you have a military perspective, you're a veteran yourself, of course, and, and kind of invited me to, to be a kind of veteran voice for that occasion, I just want to say I'm humbly honored uh, to be that person, that representative, but also at the same time, you know, I can speak to my experience and some some tales I've picked up along the way from the other veterans. Um, so that's cool. I like your little brat background. I like the idea that you had the full experience where you like kind of travel the whole world because you know, that's a big aspect of what we're doing. And we're going to get into that later. So I get off on tangents. <laughs> and if you'll tell you, man, 
Go off. Go off, right. man. It's your time to shine. So uh, what got me... Uh, so let's go back. Since it's the Military Appreciation Month, we'll go back to my service. Uh, I grew up um, in rural New Mexico by way of Oakland, California. It's a weird, strange road, but... Wow, okay. Yeah, right. I, so I was born in the Bay Area. Um, I was born in Eden Hospital, Castro Valley. We lived in, in a number of little houses right there. I grew up pretty poor you know, working class family kind of thing. My um, my grandfather was a welder and a building inspector in the Bay Area. That's how he made his career. He worked on things like the San Mateo Bridge and big projects like that. And my grandma worked at uh, a, a Xerox plant where they were actually building the machine. She like put motherboards together for like copiers and stuff like that. And so the hub of my family was out of the Bay Area. My father and my aunts and uncles and the thing about my grandma and grandfather, my grandfather was not my biological grandfather, but he was with my grandma long before I was thought of. And um, he actually was an immigrant from Mexico. He came over here from Chihuahua when he was like four years old to Denver. And then they immigrated to the Bay Area when he was a young man and he grew up his life there. And he would tell me stories about how Oakland was like farmlands and stuff when they got there. And then it was like, now it's what it is, right? It's Oakland. So when I was, I came around early eighties, Oakland was getting pretty rough, but at the same time, there was still this old guard that's in the Bay area that came from like my grandfather, for instance, his sister is uh, Dolores Huerta. And I don't know if you know that name off the top of your head, but she was very important to the whole migrant farm worker movement uh, that was led by Cesar Chavez and all that. I mean, there's uh, murals of her in the Bay Area at certain parks, right? That's how important she was. She actually came up with the phrase, si se puede, which in Spanish means, yes, we can, right? We heard that from Obama. And so that was kind of my background. You know, that's where I came from as a kid in that kind of America. I just thought it was important for me because there was all these talks about equality and justice and the right thing and the ills that that pervaded certain communities of this country. You know, the one thing that was great about my experience there was just having the, the perspective of all the different views and the real history. You know, there was like this, there was definitely this, let's give it to you straight. I mean, where I grew, where I was born and lived in Oakland, I was a little kid when we moved, but I always remembered this stuff and being there and stuff like where I grew up in Oakland is not far from where the original Black Panther Party <laughs> was originated. And at the time when I grew up, the Black Panther Party was like a school lunch program. Like they were famous for their activism that you saw on TV, like we're going to arm ourselves and protect ourselves. And of course, it was easy to vilify them for their militancy. Thank you so much for that. Before that, man, thank you so much just for saying that. But they were like a... Uh, seriously, but they were like, what I knew them as, as a white kid growing up in Oakland with a, from a mixed family, was they were like a school lunch program and they would feed kids and they would do that kind of stuff. So like you knew them in the, in the neighborhood and then have, of course half of my family being like in the migrant farm worker movement, there was all that kind of talk happening all the time. And even my grandma, Jean, she was, a, um, she was at protests at People's Park at Berkeley, you know, so that was kind of like, my upbringing right as a as a small child that was kind of my introduction to the world then we migrated to new mexico with me my mom and my sister 
my dad kind of went his own way and so did we. And so the rest of my formative years, I spent growing up in rural New Mexico. I still had my family imprint in the base, so I would still come back for summers. And I even did a couple years in like elementary and middle school in the Bay Area where I stayed with my family there for a year. So I like bounced back and forth. So I always had this broader worldview. Okay, so go back to now I'm in New Mexico growing up. We're still poor. My mom's a waitress. Um, me and my sister were basically on our own from the time we were young because my mom was dealing with stuff that she, you know, she started self-medicating for, she had depression for, and so she wasn't able to take care of us really. But my sister, God bless her, <laughs> she is the reason everything happened after this. So I moved in with her when I'm 13, she's 18. Uh, she and her now husband, uh, they were together then. He was in his young 20s. They took me in. So, you know, I spent the rest of my uh, junior high and high school living with my sister and her husband and just had the like small town Americana kind of high school life, you know, um, playing football and on the basketball team and in a small high school of like 200 people. I think my graduating class was like 42 and we were like the biggest class in like 30 years. Um, and it was great. There was a, there's such a freedom to living in the country like that. Like it's a completely different life than I would have experienced if I had stayed in Oakland. And basically when I say this little mountain chain in New Mexico, there's like ski areas, you know, there's all this national forest. So like I grew up in the scouts. When you, when you live in a town of only a thousand people, you're involved in the community, whether you like it or not, especially if you play sports at the high school, because that's all that's going on. So you're a big <laughs> deal if you're on the team and you represent the town, right? So it's a big deal. Um, so that's, that's where I got like my sense of community. I mean, started from when I was a young child and all the way up. I mean, even in Oakland, you know, we were, the one thing we all had us united in Oakland was we were all poor, you know, racial, whatever, the, the, where I lived, most of the people were poor working class folk. That was the, that was the common bond. Um, and that always stayed, you know, like I never, you know, that stayed through my life. So throughout high school, when I get to the end of my, my time to move on, you know, around there, college isn't really a thing, especially the, a lot of kids like in my position, we're not even thinking about after high school, to be honest with you at that time, because there's nothing around there. There's some cattle industry. There's, you know, you can probably find a construction job somewhere, or maybe get a job with the state or road crew or something like that. It's very, not a ton of opportunity. And so I knew I had to leave and the military seemed like the, the place for me to go. I knew I needed to grow up a little bit. I always had that sense of service about me and, and community. You know, I was like, I can do boot camp or whatever. But so at the time, as, as little did you know, old, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Now we're going to get into it. I spent like years, I spent years researching the branches and then figuring out where I wanted to go. And what do I want to do? Well, little 18 year old bravado. I was like, I'm going to be a, um, some kind of special forces, right? I'm going to be a, a you know. You wanted to be a GI Joe. Yeah, huh? right. I wanted, I just, I think at the time, I think what it was is I always just like to see if I could do things that I couldn't or thought I couldn't or, um, you know, just test you myself. push yourself. Yeah. yeah, right. Like, you know, where do I belong? And I, you know, it came from, 
I don't know where, but I always signed up for everything when I was a kid. If it was sports or whatever I wanted to play, I wanted to do it. So I was like, let me see if I can do this. So I went into the, the, the Navy recruiter came into my high school, my junior year. And I walked in, I was like, I want to join the Navy and I want to try out for SEALs. And so, you know, recruiter's like, great. I don't even have to sell this kid. <laughs> you know, sign him up. Work is done. Right. So he signed me up right there in the delayed entry program. I was in the Navy for my entire senior year of high school. I had meetings to go to. I had PT tests to pass, all that. And wow. it, so quick question. Is that, yeah. was that in conjunction with like a high school ROTC type program? Or was that just straight up you, like you were full blown enlisted at that point? Basically, yeah, I was full blown enlisted. It was wow. no, we didn't even have an ROTC at my high school. We were like, okay, okay. Um, it was straight up. The Navy recruiter came to our high school one day, and I walked into the office at lunch. I was like, sign me up. And he was like, well, you're not 18 yet. You need your parents' signature. Well, we got that, and so they put me in what they called the delayed entry program. And basically, if I, you know, uh, met my requirements when I shipped off to basic. And after I graduated through basic, I would basically get a higher rank like right off the bat. So I did that. So I just joined the Navy. Yeah, my senior year of high school, I was in the Navy, basically. What uh, a commitment at that age. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, what was that like balancing high school? And I don't know if you stayed in sports too, and then also did, you know, training and all of that? Well, um, yeah, they all went. I played sports. My senior year, I kind of took off. I didn't play most of the football season. and um, But I played basketball. And then I played golf in the fall. <laughs> that was always <laughs> one of my teams I was on. And, uh, <laughs> and I worked. I always had a job for the most part, um, which was really cool. I had some cool experiences at jobs that were unique. Like in that area, there's a ski resort. Like I said, my brother-in-law was a ski, is ski patrol. Well, he kind of drugged me along when I was a kid with him and my sister had a job up there and she ended up running ski school. I wasn't even old enough to work yet, but my brother-in-law basically was like, oh, you can volunteer here. And so I volunteered as a little ski instructor. And then by the time I was 14, I was hired on. And then I worked there for a few years, few winters doing ski instructor at Kitty Corral, teaching little guys how to go. <laughs> so what, I, what I've heard, Andrew, um, and I wanted to ask is because I'm hearing that your sister sounds like she was super pivotal in, in that time for you. So what was kind of her response when you let her know like, hey, big sis, I'm, I'm getting ready to go into the Navy. Like what? And, and then as well as um, her now husband, like what was their response to you when you when you dropped that news on them? Yeah, that's actually funny you brought that up because I didn't tell them that I was going to run before I did. Right? So, so I walk in that day. I said, hey, I joined the Navy today and I'm going to, you know, after I graduate, I'm going to take off the summer and ship out and go to basic. And my sister was kind of shocked. You know, she's, we're close. It's cute. She couldn't even come see me off. Oh. Yeah. I'm saying, I can, I can tell. I yeah, can see you too, man. Cause that's like, I can tell that's like big sis, but that's almost like a mom as well. Just, you're just, it's your guardian angel too, huh? She just seeing well, you through that. Yeah. I mean, she's the stability. She was the only stability. Mm-hmm. And she took care of me. Yeah, so that was tough. Love it, love it, man. So love shout it. out to your big family. sis. Family, 
Family, mm -hmm. yeah. Shout out to Big Sis, and Yeah, family. Oh, I get choked up about it. As Mother, you should. That's love. That's mm -hmm. love, man. Because I could see that, and I just see you light up every time you you mention her and her husband, and and just sharing the story of hearing how they supported you and 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 everything. And as you're making such a huge decision at 18, bro, like I'm trying to think of what 17. I was 17. 17. Yeah. 17. Excuse me, seven. Like. Do you know what I was? Now y'all don't even want to know what I was thinking about at seventeen. Like I was, yeah, I was high school sports. Like that's I thought I was. I many a dream. I'm hoop dream. So I'm thinking I'm trying to. As I realize I'm only five nine, so I'm not going to no league. But don't tell seventeen year old me that. I like I'm. I'm like Muggsy Bogues did it. I'm gonna do it. Yeah, right. Meanwhile, I used to carry. I used to carry a Muggsy Bogues card around in my wallet to prove that you guys could play pro sports. Exactly, man. And here you are making life-changing decisions and, and setting a whole nother bar for your family. Like you said, it's it's like for me uh, or like Nikki, like we're military brats. So it's like my dad was in the military. My grandfather was in the Air Force. I had an uncle that was in the Air Force. So the military is embedded in my family, whereas as you, you kind of set a whole new bar for your family. You explored something so new for your family. So like Kudos to you, man. Just legacy. Mm -hmm. That's what we we coined in Wakanda with legacy builders. Andrew's a legacy builder, and, and I mean oh. that's I'm blown away by such a, a life changing decision at an early age. Well, th thank you. Um, I've I've had this conversation with a lot of people, right? And a lot of people say the same thing. And if you if I told you the entire story, it'd probably blow you away even more because our childhood was rough, right? Um, but that being said, like, and to get back to a point, like the decision that I made, you know, me and my sister had to grow up and make adult decisions because we were put in a position to take care of ourselves at a younger age than most are. Um, and when you're faced with that decision, at whatever age, a decision of survival, because that's what it is, instincts kick over <laughs> and you and you're going to do for yourself. So that's all it was, you know, like I still made stupid teenage decisions here and there, like, trust me. Yeah. But I just had to grow up a lot sooner than some other people did. And so did my sister and we were exposed to things that make you grow up a little quicker, you know, um, and make you kind of see the world in a different way that, you know, okay, I got to start making these decisions for myself. And a lot of teenagers with their parents' best intention in mind are kept from having to make those decisions. And I'm probably going to do the same thing to my kids because it sucks. You know, I'll get you all the lessons that you need along the way when it is time, but, you know, go ahead and enjoy yourself. And my sister did the same thing with her kids. I spoiled my kids, dude. Like, One life to live, right? Right, yeah. Like so you're 17 in the Navy. Uh, what was the final? How many years did you dedicate um, to the military? Well, because I signed up for the um, so I signed up saying I wanted to be a SEAL. I went in. My sister was aghast. My brother in law's like, great. <laughs> Good for you, buddy. Like, <laughs> I knew you could do it. Like he was happy. So I went in. Uh, I shipped off for basic training September 5th, 2000 three months after I graduated high school, um, basic training, a school, uh, went to try my hand at buds, 
not a seal <laughs> didn't make it Ooh, um, man yeah. i'm just thinking of movies and all that like the <laughs> and it doesn't even compare to the real life things yeah still, what right? was that oh, like yeah. can you give us a quick insight to what that was like for you buds yeah oh man uh it was that to that point it was the hardest thing i had done uh, in my life uh i didn't even last to what they call hell week which is like the big thing you got to get through to kind of get on with the rest of the training, which still takes mm-hmm. another year. What's the, I mean, it's the rest of your life if you make it. Right. And where'd they send you? Was that's not, that's not the one that they send everybody to San Diego. Is it? Or is that's it? Or, it that's it. Island, okay. North Island, San Diego. Okay. Running by Hotel Dell out there on the beach. People are sipping Mai Tais and you're, yep. and you're miles <laughs> on your boots. Grinding. Oh yeah. It's, uh, it's hard. And they, the thing is, the first part of it is just a, a butt kicking because they want to see the the thing they're trying to find out is if you're going to continually make that decision to get the job done with your team, no matter what, no matter how painful it is to you personally, are you going to stay on task? And it weeds out all the people who can't make that decision because at a point your brain goes, nope, I'm done. Like, Right. And it happens and it happens to a lot of really good people. It happens to a lot of in shape people. And it's a mental thing. All the guys who make it through are different because of that. And and I, that wasn't me. I'd be honest. I, I went, I gave it the good old college try. And then they sent me off to the fleet. And I was a torpedo man's mate by trade. So I was responsible for in the Navy, all the torpedoes, right? You can be stationed on a sub, you can be stationed on ships. I, I was sent to a destroyer to take care, uh, to be in that weapons division. We have surface launching torpedoes to like hunt submarines with, right? So that was my job on the ship. But as you can imagine, we haven't had a whole lot of submarine battles since like 1942. And so if the magazine's safe, your weapons are good, your launchers work, there's not a whole lot to do on the ship, right? So a lot of cleaning, all that stuff, but there's all these side duties you do on a ship. You know, a ship to function has to take on fuel and stores and all this stuff and be out at sea. And so the crew on top of doing your job, you have to do all these other duties, right? You have to be line captain for things. You have to learn how to be a gunner on the side of the ship if we're under attack from small craft. You know, you have to, one of the, so my basic job when we went out, so this, this sucks. So I joined the service, (laughs) I go through basic, I go through A school, I wash out of buds, I'm sent to the fleet. We deploy, which is cool because we sail a boat from San Diego all the way around half the world. So we're stopping everywhere, Hawaii, Japan. I got to see the world and they paid me to do it. It was great. I, I, you know, but you're on a ship, you know, you're out there to do military stuff. So you got a lot of work, long days. You're there 24 seven. That's your life and job. You know, you get time to sleep, but you're on the job all the time whenever they need you. And so we get to the Middle East, we do our deployment. We're two days away from coming home. We're gonna turn tail and head back and uh, you know, do our six months out at sea and 9-11 happened. Mm. And so I was already forward deployed. We were doing a thing they call uh, VBSS, which stands for Visit Board Search and Seizure, which is a fancy name for boarding party. And so I was on my ship's boarding party along, we had like four teams total. 
and we're doing constant boardings throughout the North Arabian Gulf, just monitoring all shipping traffic that's coming through there. Um, we're doing that in support of Operation Enduring Freedom, which started on October 7th, uh, two, uh, 2001, just about a month after 9-11 happened. Uh, we, I was on the John Paul Jones, so we started firing into Afghanistan from the North Arabian Gulf, along with a number of other destroyers and carriers, and we started all that. And then after that deployment was extended, because we stayed on station for like another four or five months after 9-11 doing the job because we were already there, uh, we got relieved. So we, we come back home and we're training, getting ready, and they sent us right back out after about six, eight months home. Uh, we were there in 2003 to support the Iraqi invasion. And I was doing the same thing once we got on station. Actually, this time we didn't even get to sail out there. They just flew us out there and we just took over a ship that was there already. So we just swapped crews because all, all the ships of a certain class are the same, right? The sailors know how to work one. They know how to work all 50 something of them that are in the fleet. So they just swap crews. We go out there, we get right to work. And so second deployment, we stayed on station for five, six months doing boardings. I did boardings with the Singapore Navy. Uh, I stayed on their ship for a few weeks, like three weeks, I think we were on their ship with doing boardings with their country. Uh, we did with Australian and the British navies out there. And, you know, we would catch, you know, the, the smuggling arms and oil and things like that. But 95% of it is legitimate shipping that's just going through the area. And so you get to meet a lot of cool people throughout the world. So that was my time in the service. Um, and then I got out at the very end of 2004, November 04. And I started community college in January of 05. Just jump right into the next, the next venture, right? Yeah. Right in. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny. Like I knew I wanted to go to college, right? I was getting out of the service. I went and got a couple of jobs. Um, Cause I was going to stay in that San Diego area after I got out. So I got a cup, a job at a nightclub working the door. And then I got a job at a health club gym opening at like four in the morning. So I could have a free place to work out. And then uh, of course at the nightclub, you know, you can make good tips and stuff like that. Cause so, that military life already had you getting up at like three, four in the morning anyways. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, Your yeah. body was already used to it. I say the one thing that helped me with having babies with the sleep deprivation from the military. <laughs> I was like, I can run on no sleep. He's <laughs> like, man, just give me just a solid 30 and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's this funny joke in the military where like we can find a place to sleep anywhere. Like we'll pull our boot and use it as a pillow and just, like, <laughs> just make it happen. Sleep on a pipe. Yeah, Might even do it standing up if you're good enough. Oh, that happens. I, I experienced that for the first time in basic training, falling asleep standing there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's all uh, discombobulated, not even knowing what's going on. Uh, oh, man, it's... I got yeah, to witness funny. that one time. I, my dad, like I said, in, in uh, between Hoynesville and Fort Knox, he was, a, is it a battalion leader? So he oversaw, um, you know, a couple hundred soldiers or something. So we would go to the barracks sometimes and, you know, they have to stop everything. They got one guy that's always on watch, but... I, I, I don't know what I was doing up at this ungodly hour. I want to say it was like two or three o'clock in the morning. And my dad's just like, here, come on, let's go. 
And he's literally just going into rooms, just throwing beds up, waking them up like, hey, hurry up, get your stuff on. And I'm like, man. And and me as a kid, I'm like, you can't just tap them on the shoulder or something. It's like, you got to do all that to wake them up. Wake them up gently. Not understanding, you know, the training and what's going on. Like you said, like there's a process of them trying to weed out, you know, the the ones that, you know, just aren't cut for what that that position or whatever is being asked of them in that in that realm. So but yeah, no. So anyways, that was my my take. Well, that gets off on a really good point, actually, is there is a process that they are subjecting you to when you go through the military. And it is for a reason, even for them coming in, waking you up, throwing your stuff around, making chaos. There's a point to that. And the point is, can you follow your training, make the decisions you need to make while things are going crazy around you? And that's what they're trying to prepare Mm -hmm. you for. It's not just those kind of things, right? Where they come in and, and those things that make good spectacle, right? Where the people are being yelled at, but it's this attention to detail and discipline and following your training. And so what that creates is a mindset in any service member, right? And there's a point to that training. There's a point to get you to act like a sailor or soldier needs to act in that moment where they need to be one. And it doesn't always translate outside of that environment. So when a service member like myself was transitioning, you're right, I was up at four in the morning. My my area, my stuff was squared away. All my stuff I had a process for. And and it did help when I did get out. Okay, this is my routine. Like, and, and being disciplined helped. Like learning that kind of discipline helped. But when I started school, okay, I had no idea. Like, so hey, let me tell you the story. Because this is, I think, the epitome of, and it's funny, you look at me now And I have the multiple degrees and I have some experience under my belt doing other things. (laughs) But at the time, like I was a complete tourist, like complete tourist. I had just gotten out of the service. I honestly only made it through high school so I could be eligible to play sports. Right. So when I went into community college, they're like, I want to sign up for school, right? I thought I, I didn't even know. I thought I was gonna go in there, pay my tuition, go get my books, start classes, right? And they're like, well, here, you gotta test in. Where are you at in English and math? Admissions, registration, yeah, all, right. this all that. Okay, I'm good. That, that was clear enough. They, here's your process, go do this part of it. But even the testing, like I, I was so far out of it. I had chose the college algebra test for my math. like. Oh, I did algebra in high school. Like they'll test in. Basically, I started in pre-algebra in college. That's how that went. And then uh, in (laughs) my English test, right? Same thing. I started in basic English and it was just like, wait a minute. Like, uh, hold on. Like, I'm not that bad. But if I had known like, okay, don't try to test, punch above your weight, so to speak. Like you're not going to get put in the remedial algebra because you've completely failed your test. Mm -hmm. And it was just like that. I was just unawares of, you know, those kind of things, you know, and didn't really. And I don't know if you said this before, but are are you a first gen student for your family? Are you a first generation or did you have other family members to kind of lean on for that guidance no. at all? Um, my immediate family, in my immediate family, no. My father got his GED. My mother never graduated high school. Um, okay. I, so you're, you're, 
eyes wide open, really yeah, just I'm going for it. Coming I got into the money thing. to go to college. I I'm serious, you know, I, I'm there with good intentions. And but it's just like anything. You're at, you know, and the thing is you come in there and you have the whole imposter syndrome going down, right? Like, and this followed me at every step, which was funny. Like but I, I went in there with the mentality that I could outwork all these kids because I just proved it to myself over the last five years that I can work my own ass to the bone and be fine. That's what the military showed me, right? Be disciplined, stay on task, work hard, and you can get it done, right? But you have the discipline and sitting in a classroom and reading books a lot easier than being a U.S. sailor. <laughs> and so... Um, that's the mentality I went in with, but I was still, you know, just completely out of my own. And so I did the smart thing. I relied on all the student services. You know, I went to the writing clinics with every single paper I had. The, the professors were really good about the encouraging that. They, they were like, if you go and get your paper edited by those guys before you turn it in, you get like an automatic 10 points extra in your paper. So like it made me a good writer. You know, it made me a good student, but there was this, like you said, just this gap of knowledge on how to actually utilize the system to meet your goals, right? Like I was going through the motions and getting the quals and the regs done, right? I was gonna get my degrees and I did. And I did it fast. After three semesters at community college, I was transferring in and here's your uh, imposter syndrome, right? I, I'm, I'm gonna transfer on, I'm gonna get my four-year degree. So I already know that going in. I knock out my regs real quick. You know, I get the classes I needed fast. I'm taking like 20 units a semester. Uh, I'm carrying like a 3.8 GPA in my little community college at Grossmont College. Shout out uh, San Diego County. Yeah, down there. <laughs> Grossmont there we Griffins. Go. Shout yeah, out. There we go. It was, a, it was a good experience to start there. I met a lot of teachers who cared about educating me, you know, giving me the skills that I needed, the basic skills. And so... If you took yourself seriously there, they took you seriously, which was a different experience that I had in high school, right? They like pretty much people write you off as, oh, it's not college materials, <laughs> so we're not going to bother, right? Um, so that was encouraging. But even at community college, I, I met like one or two other vets, but there was no Veterans Resource Center. There was, there was a few registrars who knew how to process your VA claim for your VA benefits. And then there was like some, you know, there was a person who kind of had the skinny on some other veterans programs if you wanted to look into them. But it was really left to yourself to do anything uh, uh, around that or to find your community at school. And the thing when you come in with that, I don't know what I'm doing here because right, I don't have someone tell me, oh, this is what to expect when you get to college, right? I don't have a welcoming community saying, hey, come over here. We got some stuff to talk to you about. And I have that pride of not wanting to look like an outsider and not wanting to look like I don't belong. And it keeps you from being inquisitive or, you know, you put on the face like you belong there and you're just as clueless as everyone else around you. And that continued. Okay, so I apply to colleges. I get accepted to my four-year institution, which was a huge moment to me and helped kind of you know, you are always looking as that person with that imposter syndrome, you're always looking for those markers that you do belong, um, that you are, this is the right place for you here. And it was a huge milestone for me 
when I got accepted to my four-year institution at UC Berkeley. Because when I was a kid, you know, Berkeley was that institution in the area. You know, it's always associated with that kind of liberal thought and that protest spirit and very extremely, right? And when I was a kid, my mom used to take us. It's a public campus. So anybody can go on it. We used to go picnic right in front of the big library, a Doe library. And so it was like this huge, you know, accomplishment for me at the time to be accepted to Berkeley. The GI Bill was paying me. I did have some part-time jobs, of course, once I started school. But when I got to Berkeley, I just worked a weekend job and just focused on school, but I would still do like 18 units a semester, right? And so, and that was part of that, I need, I'm older, I need to finish quicker so I can get to my job and all this sooner. But it really hamstrung me, right? And I'm making these decisions based on assumptions at the time while I'm going to school, you know? And, and not the, having the full picture. And, and now I look back in hindsight and really go, ah, I wish I could have done some of these things differently, but you don't know what you don't know, right? So, and this all makes up to a point later. But when I came into Berkeley, the real amazing thing that happened there was there was a group of veteran students who were already there who had this very active student organization. It was nothing more than a club that recognized by the, the school. But it was, when I went to the first meeting, there was like 60 of us in there. But I was just overwhelmed because all of a sudden you had all these like NCOs and you're, you know, you're leading petty officers in there going, are you doing this? Are you doing this? Have you talked to this person? Da, 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 da. And it was like, oh, okay, this is what I'm missing, right? And so that's when we, the network, that network of knowledge just kind of came in. And then all of a sudden I was able to start tailoring my education so I can make it fit my goals, you know, and then you know, from there, I went on after Berkeley, I went into law school and came back home to New Mexico, be close to family, uh, UNM, uh, class of 12. Uh, there was like a hundred and something of us, but I graduated law school. And then, but that was all. Uh, so here's my time frame. If I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so I joined the military, 9-11 happens. We're serious from that point on. I get into school, I start in 2005. I get my bachelor's degree in about three years and 2008 hits, right? The financial crash oh, man. just mm -hmm. devastates yeah. the country right? as I'm going into law school. So, you know, it was a tough time. My first year of law school, we have these things called on-campus interviews where the, the big firms come in and kind of interview potential candidates they would like to intern and, you know, try out for you know, associate positions, right, later on. And some of these firms, they would straight up tell us, yeah, we used to take in 10 interns for summers and we're only gonna take two this year and probably not offer a job afterwards. And it was just like, that was kind of the market, right? But the, my whole thing, I mean, from the time I started school, um, my experience in the service, not only uh, as a wartime veteran, but some of the other experiences I got to have while in the in the navy i was fortunate enough to be part of the crew when we went to this small island nation that's in southeast asia called east timor and they had at the time in the early 2000s just gone through this kind of like violent coup it was pretty war-torn an australian-led nato force including the americans we came in and like kind of put a stop to the violence we came in after that there were still pockets of gorillas and stuff on the island and things like that that were 
for the opposition, but we came in to kind of help run security for UN peacekeeping. We were running supplies in. We actually went, I had building experience because uh, one of the things I did through high school was some construction work. So I had that background too. So we helped build these orphanages, basically. It was like a barrack style orphanages for some of the war orphans that were left. And, wow. you know, like 40, 50 kids that mm. were their, yeah, their parents are gone now and they're left there. And so the UN's bringing in food and supplies and we're peacekeeping and, and we're building these shelters for them. And we're out there playing soccer with them and getting whooped. They were, I mean, we, we were grown men and they're just these kids. Future, future pro professional yeah. athletes. Yeah, so oh, yeah. I've never had a pair of shoes in their life. Yeah, and um, it was just having those experiences, seeing those other countries, seeing the way things worked over there. Because one of the things that was I always found interesting is anytime we visited a foreign country, we get this big old safety briefing, right? Where we learn all the stuff we need to know to mind our P's and Q's while we're there. And uh, you do, you learn a lot about the government. Like, and we went to Singapore. They were like, "Do not break the law here." because we will leave you and you're subject to mm-hmm. their laws, right? And so it was just kind of interesting to get that experience being an American and being, you know, seeing that, or growing up in the American experience and our American history and, and the American exceptionalism that you get through that. And then you go to other countries and, you know, I will say because of my unique background, I never really, you know, I kind of knew the real history of things a little sooner than some people would have, you know, uh, you know, reading Howard Zinn when I was in middle school and stuff. <laughs> and just, you know, listening to the older people in my family tell the truth about, you know, being an immigrant or, you know, what it's like in this country, you know, to be a farm worker, not have rights and those kind of things or to have your rights trampled on or ignored or whatever. Like I was just kind of aware of those struggles, right. you know, from an early age and then seeing the rest of the world my point being like i came into school always wanting to work on policy and work in government and and kind of try to help affect some of those big changes on a big scale but i realized i wasn't having the effective change that i wanted to have and it wasn't because i wasn't able to work on these big important things at the highest levels it was because I wasn't actually turning around and focusing on macro transactions of what an individual to help an individual. So that I tried to, after working in government for a while, I tried to do a private practice for a year, a little over a year, had some clients, did the whole lawyer thing, hang a shingle. Um, I worked in the insurance industry uh, for a little while to try that out. And that wasn't me. Um, I, so I had to get back to public service. And I knew that. And as soon as I made that decision, the Pierce College, the college job just kind of fell in my lap when I started looking. And I was like, wow, that would be perfect. Um, not only because it allows me that opportunity to actually help people, but I so intimately understand what some individuals like me go through when they come in from the service into college. And they start that journey of higher education. And I went, Oh, finally, all those things I tell you, oh, I made them, you know, I wish I had had this. I wish I had had this. I wish I had had this. Well, the universe was like, well, here's your opportunity to pass that forward, right? To, to pass it along. And so it was perfect. Uh, I, I guess I made the pitch good enough to Agnes uh, and the committee hired me. 
they brought me in and I'm excited. <laughs> Great choice, Agnes. Yeah, that I get this opportunity. Shout out to Agnes Stewart. Yeah, right. Um, and it's just, I'm really excited about what we can do with the program and what we can do for our vets at Pierce College. And, and now let's get into the nuts and bolts of it, right? What can we do for you? Here's who I am. That's where my heart comes from. This is why I'm here to serve you. But here's how we're going to do that. So, yes, yeah, shout out to all our certifying officials, first and foremost, Cynthia DePoe, Brian Kramer, Tori Larson, Dan down there, the whole crew. They are top notch. Not only do they know everything they I mean, their wealth of knowledge about the, the VA education benefits and other benefits that are available to veterans. And I rely on them heavily for those kind of things, not only to keep me informed, but also when I have a question about them, they're top notch. What I do is to supplement them while they're making sure that your VA benefits are processed and that you're eligible and, and to make sure that you're getting the funding you've earned. All the other things that a veteran student is gonna have to face throughout their higher education is what I'm here to support them with and what the Pierce College VRC is here to support them with. And since I've been here, it's short time I've been here, especially the short time not in quarantine, um, I've dealt with everything from financial issues, sudden losses of jobs or, or roommates, legal problems. Um, of course, our connecting them with academic services we have a lending library. So if a, a veteran needs a, a book for the semester and they're tight on their cash or, or their money hasn't come in, if we have it in the, in the library, we can loan it out to them for the term. We also have a book purchasing program where if a veteran's on hard times and they need money for books, we can help purchase some of their textbooks. Um, but my job is when a veteran comes into my office uh, and, and so this is twofold, but my goal is to engage with that veteran, to find out what supports would help them be successful in college and to connect them with them. And it's not just the, the services we already have, right? The academic tutoring, the, the work source, um, EDI, CARES, any of the other uh, departments where they can find support on campus. It's also to connect them to those off-campus supports and community for veterans. Um, Love that. Yeah, Love Washington, that. I mean, when I worked in, in the government in here and when I worked with the Bar Association uh, working on veterans issues, there are a lot of veterans in Washington State. Uh, JBLM is one of the number one places in the country for, uh, for people to discharge out of the service. Um, not only that, you have huge Navy installations up here. Um, you know, Seafair happens here like every year, you know, the, the footprint is here. and. I had uh, Michael Wark, uh, who's been helping me on, on uh, some of these programs and, and really a champion for the veteran community here at Pierce and, and the work he's doing for us. He calls it the military sea of goodwill that's in this region, and there really is. And so my goal is to create um, basically like a gravitational force at the BRC that sucks those veterans in there so that they we can be that group of NCOs for them and making sure they, they're squared away and they got everything they need to be successful, but also that knowledge, like here's all the stuff you didn't think you needed to know. And also connecting them with a lot of services. And this is where PAVE comes in. 
Uh, yes, yes. yes. Tell, us about, tell us about pain. Tell us about pain. So that's our goal, uh, you know, to get those vets all the supports they need to be successful while at school and beyond. You know, we're really looking at focusing on building that network, teaching them those, you know, soft skills that the college offers, you know, getting them the, the job training stuff, the resume building, the, the interviewing skills, how to build and maintain a professional network start that here at school that that's where your first network is going to start out it, it all i mean when i learned i did some stints on a contract for some big firms in uh in the area big law firms multinational firms and i was working in the professional development side of the firm so like the business side and we're the ones who teach the lawyers right that we we put on the cle's for them we teach them well we also teach them the the ancillary skills that they'll need to be a good lawyer like how to grow your book of clients, how to maintain a professional network, you know, how to do those kind of things, how to be process oriented so you can be more efficient. We, we put on clinics about that kind of thing. Very interesting stuff. And so, yeah, those are the things I want to bring in uh, to Pierce College, you know, bring them in and then here, here's how you prepare yourself for the, your career world. Here's how you maintain a network. Here's whatever you want to do. Here's how you get better at academics. What PAVE is, PAVE is that vehicle that's going to allow us to create that peer community of veterans on Pierce College that will be able to engage with and connect veteran students with those resources and, and networks that they need to be involved with that are going to help them in the long run. So now for our listeners who don't yet know what PAVE stands for, it stands for Peer Advisors for Veteran Education, and it's a program that you're definitely going to want to learn more about. Yes, exactly. Peer Advisors for Veteran Education. We like our acronyms, <laughs> PAVE. And it's actually, it's an ingenious thing. Uh, the University of Michigan uh, started this whole program through their uh, mental health clinic. And it was basically just a way they wanted to create a, um, a vehicle to outreach toward veterans to kind of get them toward those services they need. And the program has expanded since then, and we were part of a grant expansion. We applied for the grant, and they picked us um, to participate in the program. Uh, so we brought it here to Pierce, and we're implementing it now. But what we need, honestly, and this is a call to action, really, what we need is we need those veterans to come in. We need to start the community now, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get the, that base community started so we can create that gravitational force. And that's, um, Nikki's been helping me a ton. Um, Michael Wark's been great. Agnes, everyone's been really supportive of bringing this to Pierce. And we're going to be rolling it out very soon. Yeah, so you heard it. You heard it from Andrew himself, man. We need, we need more veterans. We need our veterans for those out there in podcast land. If you are a veteran looking to advance your education, Andrew Pierce, Cynthia, we we got the people that are mm-hmm. are ready for you with with open arms. And actually, when this episode releases, that following week we're going to be holding an information session, um, and we plan to have information sessions in the future as well. So whenever you're listening to this, if you or someone you know could benefit or would be interested in this program, reach out to Andrew reach out to the VRC, anyone, and we'll get you the information that you need for this program for PAVE. Absolutely. And before we let you go, Andrew, first and foremost, man, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for taking the time to just 
you know, sit and chat. I, I, I feel like I could go on more and more. I just, I love hearing your story. I'm a story, talker, so, man. I mean, you don't have to ask me man, twice to talk about myself. No, I love it. So as we, as we start to get back to a norm and slowly get back to campus, I can't wait to meet you in person, but um, you are such an inspiration just hearing your story. Um, just let, I, I just keep thinking and like, you know, we, we have this theme in Wakanda and we did something for the students and we called them legacy builders and, and Andrew, you are a legacy builder and like, it's just amazing to hear your story, um, and, and just all of your achievements and, and you could have easily, you know, just been another one just floating by, but you didn't, you didn't, you didn't take that path. You knew that there was something greater and for you to be coming to the table and for us to be blessed to have someone like you at Pierce that is ready to share that experience with many others out there to see them succeed. I mean, it's tremendous. It just speaks to what we're trying to do here at Pierce. And, and I mean, the man's name is Andrew Pierce. Like it, 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 it all came together. Like he's literally at his school. This is his school, Pierce College. Like he gets to do his thing. He gets to bring his full authentic self and just share experience and, and support those that that came along the same kind of journeys. And, and, and we're just blessed to have you here and just... I'm just I love it. I love it. Like I said, being a military brat, I can only speak to it so much, but I understand the importance of having someone who's been in the trenches, been in that life that can relate because, you know, there are certain things that you can speak to to our veteran students that I could never. Could. Exactly. And that's actually a really great point, Joey, because a huge part of PAVE is bringing together that community of veteran students you know, current service members, as well as military dependents to support each other and to offer that level of understanding, right? That understanding that comes from someone who's been through something similar that you've gone through or you're currently going through. And so really bringing together this community of student veterans already on campus with incoming student veterans as well, who are going through that new transition from you know military life into college life in order to help them navigate that um, as well as to identify and overcome challenges to be that structure and offer resources that help in academic professional as well as personal goals those sorts of things that's really what pave is all about and like you said you know my experience is one but everyone has their experience and what i'm excited about pave being able to do how we're going to set this up is we get to bring that individual in and find out exactly what they need, what their experience is, and what they need to be successful. So we can help every single person. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. Is and you know we're going to Nikki and I have been talking about this. Pave is going to be our vehicle, you know, to set up those support groups with for our people of color or for our veteran dependents and spouses. You know, like Joey, you're you're. Your story is very important because we have a ton of veteran spouses and dependents and they come with their own unique set of skills. You know, like, you know, if you're a brat, you like they say, the hardest job in the military is a, a wife, you know, to be married <laughs> to the service is tough. Like, how many times did you, you name like 10 places and how many times you moved when you were a kid? Man, I there was a point in time where I never spent more than two, three years in one place. And then it was off to the next. Like we were just on the go. So I never, like, I, I still kind of have that in me. It's just like, I'm always like living halfway out of a suitcase because we're just on the go. And I think having that community of people who understand you, but also 
a broader community of people who can empathize with you, but who might not be able to sympathize with you. Um, that's what that's what we're building. So I appreciate the time that you and the opportunity and the platform you've given me to represent military uh, here at Pierce College. There's a ton of us. I mean, we have a ton of staff. We have a ton of students. We have a ton of community members who are very vested in your well-being. So, yeah, come see us. And like Andrew said, to his point and to his experience, you know, when Andrew, when you went to university in Berkeley and you found that club and you found that sense of community, that was a game changer. And so that's really what we want PAVE to be. And we want to just provide those resources, that support, that help, everything for you. So that's really, that's what we're bringing to the table. That's what we're bringing to you. And we've got, like I said, we have some information sessions coming up. Um, don't hesitate to reach out to Andrew or reach out to me to get more information and to learn how you can be a part of PAVE at Pierce. So thank you so much, Andrew. We really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and highlighting PAVE. And I'm just really excited to see what we've got in store for our students moving forward. And again, just thank you so much for coming on today. So we're just so thankful to have you, Andrew. Thank you, man. And another shout out too to your sister as well, because we've definitely seen how important she was. Yeah, yeah shout out definitely. big sis, man. You know what? I do have to give a shout out to my mom as well. Like, you know, she was dealing with her own thing. She's doing great these days. But even from a young age, she never restricted what I was allowed to read or she even encouraged me to read some things that I probably shouldn't be reading in my age. Shout out, mama. There we go. Shout out Andrew's mom. Shout out Andrew's sister, Andrew's brother-in-law. Shout out Andrew. Thank you again. Shout out to our community who's serving, who has served. And again, happy Military Appreciation Month. And we will see you all on the next episode. Mm -hmm.